The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Yesterday has devoted her life to practicing Kundalini Yoga and sharing its sense of spiritual, physical and mental well-being with people across the world. The journey began in 1969 when she met Yogi Bhajan, a master in the art and profound influence forever changing her life. During the last 40 years, she's established centers throughout the world designed to provide a sanctuary in the art of Kundalini for young and old alike. Garutish has also become a respected media commentator and writer in recent years with appearances on radio and television. She joins us today from her home in Los Angeles, sunny California. Garutish, welcome to you. Well, thank you so much, David. I look forward to connecting with you and all the people that you influence and I look forward to that as well. You live uh, in a, a beautiful neighborhood in Los Angeles, uh, as we were talking about before the program, and uh, clearly you, you have this wonderful environment for all of those that, that you are involved in and that uh, come into your life and, and practice uh, this yoga. Um, what is it uh, generally that, uh, uh, that, that sets that environment? What, what is it about that environment that, that makes you happy? I'm extremely visual. I think ever since I've been really small, I've never been all that grounded. I'm, I have like five planets in Pisces. So having a very clean, clear, beautiful environment is really important to me. And when people walk into my place, they either kind of go, ah, oh, or they burst into tears. It's really, you know, because there's been a lot of chanting and a lot of meditation and that's really felt. So it really, the environment either really uplifts people or if they don't want to relate to their soul, it's an extremely challenging environment to walk into. So uh, did you always have that environment ever since you were young? I guess this would be a good time to go back. I, and I actually, I was, you know, very, very usual and very unusual as a child. It was like I uh, was born into a very, very Catholic family and that we went to Mass every day and we did the rosary together every night until I think the last two were born and then that the rosary kind of thing went down but I went to mass every day but not only did I go to mass every day my favorite books which I don't think my sister shared this passion at all but I read like books on all of the saints and I would save my money and and make my mother when we would go to St. Louis take me to the Catholic you know store and I would buy these like you know 
big statues. I mean, we're talking about, you know, three feet high statues of the infant of Prague, of Joseph, of Mary, of different saints and stuff, and I'd have these all in my room. How old were you at this stage? You, hmm. you, well, you, probably you, before I was 10. Because you had, uh, in your biography, you talk about this statement that you made to your mother at six years old. Can you elaborate on that? It was yes, obviously a, a very <laughs> profound time and obviously a very profound statement, not only from yourself, but also probably for your mother as the recipient of that. Right. You know, we were we were Catholics, and I, I got I used to love to just go sit in church. I just felt you know the vibration of the church, and I always loved it. I never it was never like a hardship to me to sit in it. But I kind of felt that hmm, all of the rituals that went around with it were, were really kind of stagnant and dead. And I didn't like all the sitting up and you know I would just like get into something and then you'd have to stand up and kneel down and sit. And it was just kind of like really. So, um, are, are you are you are you making a statement about the the Catholic faith there? Or yes, just the a- Catholic faith. Yes, okay. uh, at that time, and so um, I just told her. I said, "I'm just going to start my own order because I'd read enough about all these different saints and you know all these things." And I was just like, "Yeah, I, I think I liked the concept. I liked the vibratory frequency. I got why you would want to be part of a spiritual order, but I didn't like." the rigidity of it. You know, I was taught by nuns, and I guess at this time, really, I had only been, you know, I had just started first grade. Did that make you question your faith in any way at that age? No, it wasn't the faith I was questioning. It was the way that other people practiced it. I just didn't want to practice it that way. You know, I got got the sound current, and I got the... um, you know, I, I loved the way churches were built and how, you know, music and chanting sounded inside of those structures. I, I really got it. Because actually, we, I lived in a very, very small town in Missouri, and they had thought that it was going to be the big town, so it actually had a cathedral. So the church that I, I grew up in was not like a regular small town church, it was a cathedral. And uh, then St. Louis had become the town, even though we were also on the river, uh, the Mississippi River. So um, we just had this great church. And what so was I the grew- what, what was the environment in which that was placed? Sorry to interrupt you there. I'm interested in in the culture around it. Oh no, the culture, <laughs> the culture around it was supposed to be a French town. I guess it started out that way, but it was a German town, and it was um, there were as many taverns, probably more taverns than churches. So there wasn't a lot of anything, and that's why. Um, my parents sent me away to boarding school because it was a lot of my friends got pregnant before they got out of high school and you know that kind of a thing it wasn't there wasn't anything to do so you know uh, i mean but just going back to that this this statement that you did make to your mother at six years old um what what was the response from your mother to that statement and and what was the essence of the statement well, it's funny because the statement stayed with me my whole life, but my mother's response was very cool. My mother's response was like, she laughed, and then she said, okay, you do that, which was pretty amazing for somebody who is, you know, very straight-line Catholic church at that point in time. No, she, and she, she's responding to you saying, essentially, um, I'm not terribly... Yeah, I'm not terribly comfortable with with the the, the church and the, the way that it's operated by human beings. And so at the age of six, I'm going to go off and do something on my own. 
And, and I suppose an adult, and especially a mother, that, that sort of response, wouldn't that indicate a sort of, okay, well, water, uh, you know, over my head here. I mean, it's not really, you know, it's just coming from a six-year-old, but it was obviously a very profound statement, and do you think that she realized that? Um, well, I had told her, you know, when I grow up, it wasn't that I was planning on doing it at six years old. It was just that I was very clear when I grew up that I wanted things different. And it was very interesting because I think that my mother actually got us. Uh, there were six kids, and I remember her saying at times she wished that she could put a couple of us in a bottle together and kind of shake us up so that some of our attributes could wear off on the other ones. And I was definitely the peacekeeper and the spacey spiritual one. And my sisters used to call me Queenie. You know, everybody had their own strengths and weaknesses. Now, you haven't, up to this stage, mentioned your father. Where did he come into the scenario? Um, my father was definitely a force. And um, he was really, it was amazing. He was really there for us when we were younger. I mean, there were six children. We were a Catholic family, right? Irish Catholic. So um, six children, and there was 19 years between the first one and the last one. So... My mom was at the playground for a long time, and uh, my dad was really good with us, especially, I think, the middle ones. I think the younger two, they kind of bought them horses and stuff, you know, I mean, like, okay, go. But he would come home at night, and, you know, when we were younger, and give us piggyback rides, and he was really the one that, like, bathed us at night and read us stories, and that one, my mom took care of the younger ones. Where did you come in the order of that? Were you, were you the youngest or the oldest? No, or? I was second but there was my older sister was seven years older than me so really it was like i was top my mother had three of us in four years so i was top of that bunch so so were you in any way insular uh if you if you had made this statement to your mother and you had already at that very early age uh, taken a dislike to the church which was clearly a very big part of family life mm -hmm. were you uh, set um, apart from all of that? Were you almost uh, in, in a different world, as it were? You know, like I said, I think, you know, I was the one that would go, you know, climb the trees and, you know, read my books in the trees just so I wouldn't, you know, be with everybody sometimes. But I, I was really good about playing with the other kids and taking care of them and was definitely a caretaker. But um, I never minded going to church. I just knew that I wanted more. I think that was it. It wasn't, I wasn't resistant. I didn't become resistant to going to church until I was, you know, late in high school. And I was in boarding school, so then I, you know, could negotiate it myself. Where are you now at this stage of life as, as far as the church is concerned? Well, you know, I, I've, had, I've had a spiritual practice. I, I, I look at it this way, that the church in getting me to go to Mass every day and say the rosary set my foundation for my spiritual practice, which is every day as well. So I don't have the resistance to a lot that a lot of people have to meditating every day and, ha and you know, doing yoga and having that. I love it. It really helps me and it grounds me. And I don't know how people get up out of bed every morning and pull enough pieces together to form a human being without having that time to just drop into their essence and connect in. So, so essentially what you're doing at the beginning of... I'm putting words in your mouth now. But what you, <laughs> what, what you do in the morning is, and I've learned this, and actually I took this on after a conversation with your very good friend, 
Robert Pease, who said to me, get up in the morning and whatever you do, you can feel as disheartened as you like, but get up in the morning and shout at the top of your voice, go for a walk and say, this is going to be a good day. This is going to be a great day. Yes. And, you know, no matter what the challenge is, yesterday somebody, um, I was on the phone talking to a friend, he goes, you sound great. You know, what's going on in your life? And I said, well, you know, I thought, God, you know, I could tell you a million things that are wonderful or not. I said, you know, what's really gone on in my life is I'm really inside God's will at this moment. I'm really inside that dance of the infinite, and I'm not resisting it. I'm allowing it and, and getting it. Now, um, that would be um, a good point at which to move on to uh, uh, circa 1969 and your meeting with Yogi Bhajan, um, who was clearly this amazing master um, in this this yogi uh, yoga in this Kundalini yoga. Um, now he was obviously a very important character to you. Can you can you describe uh, how old we, how old you were then, and and what was it that attracted you to to his uh, his art and him as a as a human being? Well, I'll tell you I'll tell you the whole story. Actually, it was um, this was like the late sixties, and um, I was doing a lot of drugs. I was in college, but I was doing massive amounts of drugs. And um, it was really, you know, it wasn't just doing drugs to get high. It was really doing drugs to find God. I mean, it was really that God experience that I was after. So, I, you know, it was mostly like acid and, and that, those kinds of hallucinogens. And um, I had this very profound experience with this very dear friend of mine. We were at the University of Missouri, and... She fell in love with this guy in the summer that she met, and we somehow managed to talk both of our parents into letting us transfer to the University of Arizona because that's where this guy was. We didn't tell them that's why we wanted to do it. I don't even know what we told them, actually. I think maybe I just told them that I couldn't stand the cold anymore, which was probably true. But well, I, I bet you regretted that coming to Arizona, because then it would be <laughs> extremely hot, wouldn't it? It was okay. So th that, that, would dis that would dis <laughs> dispel that theory. <laughs> I could do hot. But um, so when she got there, this guy couldn't even remember who she was, right? He was just a catalyst to get us, you know, out there into a different state of consciousness. But this other guy fell totally in love with her, and we were both very tall. We're like we were like five nine, five ten. But she outweighed me by oh, probably forty, fifty pounds. So she wasn't a small girl. Well, this guy was probably five six, and you know, much smaller. But he was really smart. He was smart enough to know that if he wanted her to come to dinner, that he had to invite me as well. So he invited both of us to his apartment, and he cooked dinner for us. And it was so fun watching him cook, and it was such a good meal. It was really great. And I was like, wow, this is so good. And he said, I'm a vegetarian. And I had had to have my meat burnt my whole life because I just couldn't handle the blood thing, didn't really like it. But, you know, I grew up in Missouri, and you had meat three times a day. And, you know, it was like I just had a real challenging time with it are you are you suggesting here that men cannot um become good chefs it sounds oh, al no, al almost right. it <laughs> sounds almost as if you were shocked at his uh, culinary college. abilities this is college in the 60s you know, <laughs> this was not this is not the 80s 90s and you know the next the 21st century this is college in the 60s where no one cooked you ate in you know whatever cafeteria there was or you ate at a fast food place it wasn't cooking was not part of it. 
So um, when he told me he was a vegetarian, I asked him what that was. I'd never even heard of it before. And when he told me I became a vegetarian on the spot, I was like, oh, my God, you don't have to eat meat. It was like liberation. So he figured that that was so cool that I became, you know, went into that so just like this. He showed me that he'd cleared out this closet to do yoga in, and he had this yoga book. And all I can think of is is it was Richard Heidelman's book, because that could have been the only thing that was out at that time. And um, I loved the concept, but I knew I didn't want to learn it out of a book. So I went to the library, and I researched yoga. And there were all these manuscripts, and there were all these cool little skinny guys with these doty claws and really bright eyes, and no women. And I was like, I don't get this. But anyway, I, I tried some of the poses, and I could do them all. And so I gave my talk, complete with showing poses, even like, you know, putting your leg behind your head and... I could do all this stuff. So um, after class, like 12 people came up to me and they said, where can we do this thing called yoga? And I said, I don't know, but let's just stay connected. So in about May, I guess this was May of 70, somebody came running in and said, wherever I was, there's yoga in the park. And we went and I just fell in love. I got it. This is how I met Yogi Bhajan. So I get to yoga class. We do yoga. And like when people ask me now, well, how often should I do yoga? I'm like, we did it every day and sometimes twice a day. It was like I got, this is what I was looking for. All the drugs that I had done, this is what I was looking for because I could get really high doing this and I felt totally connected, which is what I was looking for with the drugs. And I got my sisters into it, and then we went. There was this thing, you know, summer solstice, and everybody goes, okay, he's going to be at solstice, la, 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 la. So my sister and I drove out to solstice. We were only there for a couple of days, and that's where I met Yogi Bhajan. And there was probably at that time maybe, I think, 50, 60 people at this, you know, solstice celebration. And he would give, like, lectures. It was, it was right outside of Santa Fe in, like, a gulch in the desert. So it was really hot. And there were all sorts of funny things, you know, happening. But it was like I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is really cool. I can't say I was, a, you know, totally like at that moment I, I got him, but I got what he brought over. Is and I kept doing the yoga, and I, you know, started doing getting up and doing sadhana, which is the morning practice, and I, you know, just started doing, and then I started, he said, well, you know, if you taught, you know, you've taken three classes, you can teach. So I started, like, substitute teaching for the teacher that was there. Let me, let me ask you this question. At this stage in the United States, was yoga well-known, well-practiced? No, no, and so when people say, well, how did you choose this kind of yoga? I said, it's not like it is now. There was, like, self-realization and kundalini yoga and I and um, transcendental meditation and I already did transcendental meditation I did that so I got so initiated. so so there were other types of yoga at that uh, well, uh, around TM that really time wasn't TM at that point in time really was a meditation practice and um, so you know I had gotten my mantra and I was doing the twenty minutes a day thing you know twice a day but. Um, that's all it was requiring of you. It wasn't requiring, it wasn't a lifestyle. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't all this stuff about living together and, you know, food and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there wasn't the chanting thing, which was so fabulous. You know, it was just like the, the teacher that taught at our class was like, oh, my God, he had the most angelic voice. 
it was just beautiful. So it was like there were so many facets to this. Let me let, let me just um, ask this question. Um, at at that stage, and I'm I'm backtracking a bit, so so bear uh-huh. with me. You were high on drugs. This was the sixties, oh, yeah. and um, does is it not so true that God does put us through challenges in our life? Um, if you just read Genesis, and anybody could see that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, we we any person who has a spiritual practice, and you just go, oh my. God. Yeah, really? so but but nevertheless this clearly took you into a different area of your life and and almost saved you from from the practice of of drugs and and everything else. It sounds like well, it, it was an absolute god god's gift to you. I used to tell <laughs> my mother that I was going to be dead by 24. And I didn't know what it was that was going to kill me, but she used to freak out as a child. I'd say, "You know I want to be dead by 24." And she was like, why do you say that? And so I said it, you know, often. I mean, not, you know, maybe, I, I'm not saying like every week or anything like that, but I remember saying it quite a few times. It was just, and it was like a knowingness in me, not like I was trying to freak her out. I just knew that I was going to be dead by 24. So I really feel like if I had stayed on the path that I was, because anybody who knows anything about Pisces knows that um, if a little is good, a lot is better. So I didn't do drugs like an occasional this or that. It was like, okay, we have a bag of acid. Let's just keep a straw in it for the entire week. You know, it wasn't, there was no moderation. How do you, how do you look back on that now? I mean, uh, what, what was the direction of your friends? I mean, where did they go? You, you obviously moved into yoga. You cleaned yourself up, as it were. Where did your friends go? Did they follow you uh, into well, this some practice? Actually, some of them went to yoga. Some of them actually got very, very sick. Several of them died. And um, some of them just turned around and ran in the other direction as far as they could and got as po- straight as they possibly could, right? So there were many variations on the theme. But, you know, when you talk about the whole thing of the spiritual challenges, when I did meet Yogi Bhajan, he just absolutely took control of my life. I mean, he was like, okay. So he sent me to Canada to start a community in Canada. He arranged my marriage. He, you know, so it was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, here you go. <laughs> what uh, what was his what was his faith out of interest? Sikh. And did he remain with you uh, for the, for the rest of your life? I mean, is he is he somebody who is pivotal in your life that you you work every day through uh, his principles, or did you start developing your own? You know, it's um, <clears throat> he's. He was my spiritual teacher the whole time he was here, and even afterwards, I can tell you stories of him waking me up in the middle of the night and, you know, giving me things that he still wanted me to do. Um, But at one point, um, I left Canada. I left my marriage. I left, you know, running Canada, and he was not happy with that at all. And at that point um, is the point where I started, you know, claiming things on my own. Yeah, and... Um, we had some very funny conversations because he was really used to me being extremely obedient and he wasn't used to me like going, mm, no. So essentially essentially, you fell out with him at that stage or how did that go? And it wasn't even a falling out. It could have been really, it could have been like falling out and, you know, just 
you know, turning my back and walking away from the whole thing. But I really knew that, you know, I was grateful to him. I loved him, and I loved these teachings, and I got what they were. But I had to wake up in my own life and go, I need to make some decisions for myself. Hence why uh, your your marriage dissipated, as it were. Is that because you're so deeply involved in the the spiritual being, uh, being in this? No, it was because it was, I'll tell you the truth, I had wanted to leave my marriage for a long time. It was not a fun place to be on any level. But when the karma was done, I absolutely knew it beyond a trace of a doubt. And until that point in time, I had to keep going back into it. And when that happened, it was really like a stainless steel door just closed down in front of me. And it was like, you no longer have to go back to that. And it was done. And it was not even, you know, Yogi Bhajan couldn't make me go back. Nobody could. Because he knew that a lot of things would fall apart without me being there, that I was really the anchor of so many of the things. And um, it was just like nothing I became immovable, but not immovable in a stubborn way, immovable in a knowing way, and it was just like a very relaxed immovability. Did you did and, you then become very independent in yourself after um, that? I was still very connected. I moved from Toronto to Los Angeles, and um, I had two children, and I knew that I was going to have to financially take care of them because that was not a very brilliant part of my um, husband's life or um, ideals. So um, a friend of mine brought me into his business and down here and, and uh, helped get me established here. And um, because I had been running a community and, and teaching that. So I've always taught yoga and uh, I've always taught meditation. And so I really started doing a lot more healing work and helping to run this business. And so it was great in that I got Along the way, we've had in Toronto even we had to establish businesses. So I've actually done a lot of startup businesses um, because you know when you had people at that point in time move into your community, the only rules really were is that they would get up and meditate and be a vegetarian. So you got a lot of people who were unhirable anywhere else. So we had to create businesses to support them and sustain them. What about uh, what about uh, just before we we move into that? Can you just explain to me the the, the major principles of Kundalini yoga, as set apart from other types of yoga? Well, I'm going to explain two things to you. Yogi Bhajan was a Sikh, and so a lot of the mantras and the things that we do inside of Kundalini yoga have have a basis in the Sikh way of life. But the Sikhs are not, for the most part, into yoga. So he kind of merged the two of those together. And the basis of a Sikh way of life is rise early in the morning, connect with your soul, earn your living righteously, and share what you have with others. The basis of Kundalini Yoga in what makes it really different from other yogas, well, it's not based around salutation to the sun. It's really based around systems of the body. So it's based on the nervous system, the circulatory system, the immune system, brain balancing, um, the chakras, um, you know, prana apana balancing. So it's, and unlike other yogas, you do a lot of breathing and different kinds of breathing while you're doing asanas. 
the biggest difference in it is is that it's a, it's a complete lifestyle, and people can pick up as much of it or as little of it as they want, but it really is like it, do everything from you know how to go to the bathroom properly so that you don't put pressure on your prostate and you know um, how to raise your children uh, in a conscious way how to you know how to have relationships he was very 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 into women and you know here we are a bunch of you know feminists and the first thing he did was made us you know grace of god women of the world was one of his first things he did and he had us like being in, being in parades with signs you know saying grace of god women of the world we're like what are we doing but he taught women's camp because he felt like that if women were honored that's the basis everyone comes from a woman and if we could honor women that the entire planet could change the consciousness of the entire planet could change what what, uh, what what did he go on to do after you you parted as it were we really didn't part. No, uh, I, w- when he did whatever he did. I mean, did he go and uh, concentrate more on the, the Sikh religion, or did he continue yoga? Or Do you know how, he, how his life evolved from there? Well, he, I wasn't, you know, he had a lot of students. I just happened to be one of the first ones. But he had students all over the world. We have centers all over the world. Literally, there's thousands and thousands. I mean, there's probably very few countries in the world that we don't have centers. So he was very busy his whole life sending people out to start centers. It was almost like if you said you loved him, that he would send you to some far corner of the world to start a center. And we did it. You know, we did these things. We started centers all over, you know. There's centers in Japan and Russia and Indonesia and, you know, South America. There's like... um, in Chile, I think there's like uh, 15 different centers and just in Chile. So he was very, very busy flying everywhere and, you know, teaching everywhere in the world and setting up centers and, and stuff. So I wasn't his focus. I was just one of the people that he cared about uh, because I ran an entire country. How is it uh, that the people that you've come across in the past who have been mentored by yourself... Um, how how have they changed in themselves? Are there any profound memories that you have of people, perhaps from a very um, uh, chaotic background? Uh, what what are the memories of those who have taken on yoga most profoundly? You know what I think. I, what I've seen the most in the people that have stayed with it is there's a neutral mind that gets very developed. You know, it's just that you know the bouncing between the negative and positive mind. It's just like there's a very steady, neutral mind, which allows us to get together and create things very effectively. My boyfriend was just saying the other day, he said, you know, I get, I see what Yogi Bhajan did with you all. He made you all extremely powerful and extremely, um, you know, you're doers. You're all doers. So there's, you know, the Sikhs are warriors. I mean, so there is that element, and Kundalini Yoga is a very powerful yoga. I mean, you'll read in, in books that people are like, oh, the Kundalini, oh, you know, stay away from Kundalini Yoga, la, 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 la. Well, you do need to develop your, your nervous system. And so many people in countries now due to diet, especially with the sugar and caffeine, have extremely weak nervous systems and stress. 
So the nerves are really, really challenging. I have DVDs, and if you want, when you come here, I'll, I'll give you my DVDs or my flip charts, and you can, you know, just have a little experience. I, I created these flip charts so that people could have an experience in one to three minutes of how to change their energetic states. Do you, do you, do, do you actually have people, when you, when you talk about um, changing people's states, do you actually have people that, that come to you who have had uh, trauma in their life, who, who've been in, involved in family trauma? Um, a lot of trauma, in, in yes. Perhaps um, uh, uh, physical uh, abuse, um, even yes. verbal abuse. How, mm-hmm. how has that changed them in particular? How has that changed them? Um, let's just say this. If they stay with things, they can change. If they're more attached to their story than they are to real change, then nothing can change them. And I have found that out over the time. So whenever they're ready to really let go of the story and create the change, then yes, you know, everything is possible. And I've seen people make huge changes, and I've seen people that I actually just let one person go because I just said to her, you know, when you're really ready to do this, um, because I said to her, she wasn't doing a lot of the things I suggested. I said, you know what I think you need to do is just volunteer. Just go volunteer. And we found the perfect place. She agreed to it. And then I said, okay, I want you to do this twice a week. And she goes, oh, I can't do that. And I'm like, what are you doing that you can't do that? You take your kids to school. You have all this time between when you pick them up. You do nothing. You don't have a job. You're not willing to start your business up again. Why can't you do this? I don't know. I just can't do it. What is the process uh, with this, um, with 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 Kundalini Yoga? Is is it first a physical enhancement, a physical well being, and then a mental well being? Uh, how does that work exactly? You know, it works on on changing people simultaneously. People can come in thinking they're just going to do a yoga class, and it will affect you because. We all we encourage people to like do a meditation, get a meditation practice. You know, sign up for forty days, do an eleven minute meditation for forty days, and then expand it. I just gave one of my students her second meditation. She goes, "Okay, I want a forty day meditation." So I gave her this one that I knew would really help this situation she was having in her lower back. And I said, "Okay, I want you to do it for twenty two minutes." She goes, twenty two minutes? Can't I do eleven? I said, "Okay, sixty two. And she's like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so she's doing it for 22 minutes. She goes, gosh, some days it just like blows by. It's so fast I can't even believe it. And she didn't want to do the meditation. She was resisting it. I said, I understand. I resisted this meditation too. Okay, so can, so can you explain to me um, what did she do physically? And then what was the methodology of the meditation itself? She was coming to yoga classes and... I talk in yoga classes a lot about, you know, what is it creating a practice to sustain you? I mean, you know the pace that you live at at this point in time. It's like <clears throat> most people who live in big cities live at a pretty wild pace at this point in time. And we think everybody in the world lives at this pace, but they don't, right? So how do we create a sacred space in your home or in your backyard or wherever it is that you, I don't care if it's on your toilet, that you can be for X amount of minutes that you can commit to every day to actually have an experience of your soul. When you think about it is, you know, what is tithing about? It's giving 10% of your income, right? And 10% of 
your day is two and a half hours. So if you're really talking about soul time, that's the amount of time truly that we should be giving back to our soul, 10% of our day, consciously to our soul, because it's the same tithing thing. So tithes to that, you know, we're really a soul in a human incarnation, not just a human maybe happens. Maybe I got a soul, maybe I don't, I don't know. Call, I don't care if you call it baseball. That essence in us, that when you go, it goes, it's the part that goes, right? It's not, you know, when you let the body go, that essence of you, what are we doing to stay connected to that? So, you, you know, I encourage people, you're not going to do two and a half hours, which is where he started us, just so that you know. <laughs> because uh, because because many, many years. <gasps> because with, with many people these days, frankly, that, 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 that could be asking an awful lot. Could, could it, could you it not? you see their eyes glaze over, so it's <laughs> like, okay, they're not going to do two and a half hours. So that's the deal with my flip charts, is I go into businesses and work with them to give people the capacity, the missing component of the green movement is greening people, teaching people how to be able to change their energetic states, their mental and emotional and physical states, so that they can get back into themselves so they can be more creative, productive, connected to themselves and everyone else. Well, you've mentioned green movement. What are you referring to there? Just the whole, you know, when we talk about the green movement, what do we think about alternative energy sources? We think about buildings. We think about products. We think about us being more conscious of how we deal with, you know, do you have your bags? Have you changed your light bulbs? Do you turn your lights off in your room? But nobody talks about us, us in our energetic states. You know, you talk about energy, people think of wind, solar, gas, you know, electric, whatever they think of, but they don't think about us. Have we, have we actually moved to a world now where human beings are... are in such chaos because they tend to think that the world owes them something rather than than them protecting the world is 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 that part of this statement you know what i the, the thing that's so important to me is my whole thing with my company called the energy gurus is i want everyone to become their own energy guru so that they can bring their gifts forward into the world i want companies to be that so the difference of being entitled and having yourself be calm and connected enough that you know what your gifts are and that you can actually utilize them are just the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? So that's what I do with businesses and groups and that is to teach them ways, actual real physical ways, and then help them create habits to sustain them. Because you can give somebody an experience, but actually doing something that creates habits. When you are meditating... Can you explain to me what you are feeling, what you are thinking, what is it that is the catalyst to you meditating, what sort of state you have to be in mentally? I mean, can you do it, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon after you've just come out of, out of work and you're pulling your hair out? And The great thing that Yogi Bhajan gave us is that he gave us meditations that had, you know, that you did different breaths with. He gave us meditations that had sound currents with them because it's not just sitting still. So I'm going to give you something. Will you do this with me? Absolutely. Go ahead. It's really, it's really fun, and it's really quick, and it's called four-part breath, and it's for getting rid of overwhelm, and most people hold their breath after a certain point of just, like, moving from one thing to the next, and two things we stop doing. We stop drinking because we don't want to have to get up and go to the bathroom, and we stop breathing. Okay, so we get very shallow breath and very tight, and then all of a sudden we wonder why that 
our necks are cramped up and we get headaches and, you know, nothing moves. So we're going to do this breath and it's fun. And then um, I'm going to give you a set of my flip charts, which I encourage people to have on their desks. And then I also have them on YouTube. But um, So you're going to inhale and we're going to do it through the mouth because if you're really not breathing very well, Breathing through your nose is not an option. When people are really uptight and somebody says, take a deep breath, you know, most people just want to slap them because it's like you can't take a deep breath. If you're really upset or you can't do it. Okay, so we're going to inhale, and I want you to start as close down to your pubic bone as you possibly can, and we're going to do it in four parts. So you're going to do there, and then you're going to come up in like four sections. You're going to get to see. First, you're not going to probably breathe all that well. No big deal. And then we're going to exhale the same way where you let the breath out from the top to the bottom. And I encourage you to get just as fat and expanded as you possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And first, it can be everything could be very, very tight. And then you'll find that as we do it, we'll do like, you know, 90 seconds. And things will start loosening up a little bit. So what this is about is on the exhale, you exhale out all the stressors of the day. And you inhale and create that new connection to your life force. Now, when you say new connection, explain that exactly. Well, you know, every inhale is a chance to get more, more connected to the vastness of the universe. You're taking the universe in. I tell people when I'm teaching them to breathe, you're the balloon. When you inhale, you're taking the entire infinity into you. Inhale for the vastness that's available to you, right? So you're doing this one, but you're doing it in, in sections, Right. So you're doing it in sections vertically up your body. Right. Okay. Yeah. You inhale in four parts, then you exhale in four parts. And okay. and how can our listeners get a, a, um, a visual of this? What should they be doing? Should they be sitting or standing? You or? can sit, you can stand, you can actually even walk around doing this. If you're really upset, there's another variation of this I'm going to give to you. Okay, so this is called dragon breath. You're going to inhale the same way, okay? And then on the exhale, you're going to stick your tongue out as far as you possibly can and open your eyes really, really wide. Okay? That's what it sounds like, but two things really happen. It helps release heat and anger from the body because it actually stimulates your thyroid, your parathyroid, and your thymus gland. But when you open your eyes super, super wide, it activates your pituitary, which is all about your intuition. And when we're angry, our intuition's not there at all. Now, what but if you it, also, now when you're opening your eyes really wide, what is, uh -huh. that, what is that doing? It activates your pituitary. And your pituitary is known as your, you know, your intuition, the gate to your intuition. But it also helps to balance the rest of your glandular system. And when you're doing this, people will not come up and talk to you. But if, can you imagine if everybody got taught this breath when they were children? I, I taught at a high school in town for 11 years, and when I taught these kids this breath, after they would do it, they would get really calm. And then I could actually teach them other things. I was going to ask that question, by the way. Yeah. For children, how important is yoga to, to start them off with this when they're very young? And, and have you been successful with that? Yes, I've taught everything from, you know, three to four-year-olds on up through high school, and I have to say... I love teaching high school. I, I had 80 to 100 kids in this high school class. And, and, and they must find that so fun. Well, it's so great because I would go in and talk to them about overwhelm and jealousy and, you know, and then I would 
ask them, like, how many of you have, like, had friends that died and were killed? And, you know, just talk to them about real things that were happening in their lives and betrayal and all of this kind of stuff. Okay, so we're going back to Dragon Breath, though, because I want everybody to know about Dragon Breath. And just so, so you, you know, yeah, and just so you know, we are running out of time, so we're going to keep okay. it short. Okay. Just inhale four parts with your eyes closed, stick your tongue out, open your eyes really wide. Open your eyes really wide, stick your tongue out as far as you can. One more time. Okay, inhale. Now that, that has got to be a real shock to the system at the end of the day doing that. Oh, it's so good because you just get to release all the things that drove you nuts. But if you can go in the bathroom during the day and do it when you get upset instead of waiting till the end of the day... How fabulous is that? Now, what what are the rejections with with your work? Do you ever get people turning around and saying to you, "Oh, for goodness' sake, I just haven't got time for this"? Um, how, how do you approach that then when you've got somebody who is really pushing up against this? Are you successful in saying, "Now, look, you need to change your life. You need to stop de-stressing. Just, just." take this on and I and and your life will change how, how does that work no I don't what I say to them is like good then you're telling me you're happy with where you are right now right you're happy with where you are right now okay then just keep doing the same things because if you think your life is going to change by doing the same things you know it's not so if you need change in your life then everybody has three minutes and three minutes at different times of the day. When you're going to the bathroom, when you're in the bathroom, give yourself a minute to do these things. You know, when you're walking back to your desk, utilize the in-between times instead of, like, having an overactive mind. Clear your mind so that you actually can really ingest the next thing that's coming to you and see it and feel it and experience it. In the, the final minutes of the program here, what are your views of the world that we live in today? Uh, clearly, I have no doubt that, that it is this sort of art that is so, so much needed in people's lives to give them discipline, to give them hope, to give them this sense of calmness. Um, but how do you view the world? How, do, you, do you see the world as being very chaotic at the moment? Do you see people totally around you? Exciting. Totally exciting. Because it's introducing change? You know, it's like our teacher told us that this time in the 70s, he said, people are going to be falling down on your doorsteps and foaming at the mouth and freaking out. He said, it's a corridor. And, you know, you're passing through this corridor from the Kali Yuga, the age of darkness, lead age, in, into uh, the platinum age. So you're going from the densest, grossest metal to the most soft, sublime, expensive thing that there is. Well, that alchemy takes this kind of rubbing up against each other. So as I see the fear building and the, you know, wanting to keep things not only the same, but make them go back like, you know, oh, 50, 100 years, I also see that there's this tremendous longing that, and consciousness that's, that's coming forth in all different places. And I just find it incredibly hopeful I'm. I feel blessed to be part of this, and that we're we're the light bearers, you know. And that what that means is, you know, strike a match, become 
light that internal light that you have. That's why we're called human beings. Human, the light of the mind, not just the brain, the mind, that knowingness in every cell. So how to be able to light that light so that we can be that. Now, when, when you have people uh, visit your home, can you, can you uh, create a community? Can you create groups with this? Can people work together? I take it they don't just have to do this on their own. Yes, yes, and it's really, it's very interesting. Not only create, we've had, my classes have gone down and like fed the homeless. We, we do fundraisers. We take this mission on at the holidays. We do all sorts of things, you know, in that. And But I'm also connected to all sorts of other communities. I'm part of Bioneers. I'm part of Code Pink. I'm, you know, uh, Mary Eck and Robert and I are doing things together, and then I've got other people I'm doing things together with, you know. So it's this is the time of co-creation. You and I are here together in this moment, and who knows where this is going to lead, you know, and what we're going to be able to do together to serve the planet. So, I guess what I'm asking you is, do you think that this time is a rebirth, not only for our nation, but for the world? The because entire be, because, uh, universe. Yeah, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was just uh, going to say that we can't really go back. We can only go forward. <laughs> we can learn from history. But nevertheless, uh, we're going to have a world that's, that's more frugal, uh, that, that is going to be less complicated, I'm absolutely sure. Um, but you know, what, would, what would be your message to people uh, generally across the board? What, what would you say? I would say in that we're becoming more connected to our footprint on the earth and what we do, we also need to understand how to be able to regenerate and renew and recycle our own personal energy it, with just as much care as we're thinking of the environment. Our own internal environment is as important as the external environment. And in the last minute, I would ask you, looking back, what would you say is your finest, finest memory looking back over your career and life? That I had the courage to say yes and to do it from my heart and not think about it with my head. Is it a 24-hour discipline for you, uh, this, this art of yoga? Is it something that you live with day and night? Well, yoga, it means to yoke or unite. So let's just say I've got my yoga mat sitting by my desk. And during the day, I get up from my desk and just do a handstand or a headstand or just something so that I just, you know, remember how to rejuvenate myself in the moment. And I have to do what I tell everybody else to do. If I don't do it, then it's just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It doesn't work anymore. You have to live what you teach. So, yes, absolutely. It's working on how to be conscious every moment and see the God in all. If you can't see God in all, you can't see God at all. So whatever that generating, organizing, destroying, you know, energy is in your life. Your, your final message for those listeners, um, Garutesh, what would you be saying to them about your, your art of yoga and how they should become involved? I'd say go visit me on YouTube and go to the energy gurus and utilize them and then come to my site and see all the good stuff that I've got there that can support you in being the change that these times require us to be. 
Rutesh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, and actually I certainly hope that we have another program to talk about um, uh, your art more in depth, uh, also in social terms perhaps, in, in trying to uh, understand this wonderful world that, that we live in today. Uh, I do thank you for joining me today. Thank you, David, for having me. And to our listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I have. Uh, you can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this wonderful world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management what is whole person healing via body via mind and via spirit it's a dedication to the widest selection of healing practices worldwide whenever possible Hosted by Professor Rustam Roy, a noted material scientist and the founder of Friends of Health, who will be here each weekend with the most in-depth information about whole person healing from the world's leading practitioners, spokespersons, and major supporters for this viewpoint. Tune in every Saturday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. When your car starts to gasp and sputter, you take it in for a tune-up. But what about when you get tired and need help? Sounds like it's time for a life tune-up. Simple, straightforward advice and techniques to help inspire and guide you in weathering life's challenges and finding your true purpose. Each week, Lauren and Shore Slocum will give you the tools to tune up your life in a way that's easy and fun. Stop making excuses and live your life. 
Tune in to Life Tune-Ups, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel and tune up your life today. If you're looking to improve your business results and get the truth about your business performance, then tune in each week to Smart Behavior Strategies with host Joe Takish. Each week, a high-profile guest with a proven track record will discuss successful behaviors that will improve your business objectives and your bottom line. Tune in to Smart Behavior Strategies every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning hard times into good times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you looking for the next best thing? Of course you are. We all are. The next best thing is like your personal crystal ball on the radio, only it's much more accurate. We'll discuss medicine, healthcare, politics, the arts, matters of the heart and spirit. In this confusing world, the next best thing will keep you ahead of the game. Where can you find the next best thing? Join your host, Linda C. Thompson, on the Voice America Variety Channel every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time for the next best thing. 